Today's show is part two of my interview with Brian Anderson. If you haven't listened to part one, do that first by going to episode 10 of the Fueled and Fit podcast. In today's show, we discuss the benefits of endurance racing, the whys behind fitness, and the changes an individual can make to really get healthy. And it may surprise you what Brian suggests. We also take a brief dive into nutrition, including the importance of experimenting with different dietary approaches to find the one that fits your needs and lifestyle. Welcome to the Fueled and Fit Podcast, where fitness and nutrition meet motherhood. My name is Janae Wise, otherwise known as the Fit Mom Coach. I'm a certified personal trainer, certified nutrition coach, yoga teacher, mom of eight, and military wife. This is a podcast for busy moms like you and is all about helping you maximize your fitness and optimize your nutrition. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here and hope our time together will be beneficial to you. Before we get started, I want to invite you to follow me on Instagram at the Fit Mom Coach. I post regularly on my stories and love interacting with followers through my stories or DMs. I would love to see you there. I also have a YouTube channel that you might be interested in, which is just my name, Janae Wise, where I share free short format yoga flows and other workouts. I would also love to see you there. Now, on to the show. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. Happy New Year's. This last week, I didn't release an episode due to the holidays, but I'm happy to be back to share this week's show, which is a special 60-minute episode to kick off the new year. I think you're really going to find it inspiring. This show is a continuation of my interview with Brian Anderson, an ultra runner and racer and all-around health maverick. I hope part two of my interview with Brian will inspire you to really slay your fitness, nutrition, and wellness goals for 2023. Before we get started, I wanted to share that personally, I am super stoked for 2023. I am one that does love the idea of a fresh start, goal setting, and looking forward to better, bigger things. I'm an optimist. I hope that you too believe that the future is bright and that you're also hopeful for things to come. And I'm so glad to have you on my journey. Just a heads up, in next week's episode, I'll be sharing some of my fitness and nutrition goals, as well as tips and pointers that I think may help you with your own goals. And I will also share a little bit about my current experiment with eating Nutritarian, which is a type of plant-based eating. I mentioned on Instagram about a week ago that I felt my diet was getting a bit too junky. I'd been letting a lot of less than ideal foods creep into my diet and I was feeling like it was really dragging me down. As many of you know, I've been plant-based most of my adult life, almost two decades now, but that doesn't mean that even I don't struggle at times with keeping my diet in line with where I'd like to be. So as a challenge to myself, I've been eating and will continue to eat Nutritarian for at least the month of January. In next week's episode, I'll tell you all about what eating Nutritarian is and what I'm eating and some of the many benefits I feel it offers me personally and maybe could be helpful to you. One more note, before we dive into the interview, I still have a few spots open for my small group coaching program, Accelerate, which will begin January 9th. As I said, this is a small group. I'm keeping it small because I want to keep it intimate. I want to keep it very personal. I still have a few spots though. So if you're interested in joining an intimate and awesome group of like-minded ladies where we'll all be getting fit and healthy together, I would love to have you. I will leave the doors open to registration until January 4th. DM or email me if you have any questions. Podcast listeners can get $40 off by using code FUELED40. The link to register is in the show notes. All right. 
on to the show. Welcome back. Welcome back, Brian. So glad to have you again for part two of the interview. To our listeners, I am bringing Brian onto the show, and he may be one of those that's a repeat guest. He's just a wealth of knowledge. One of the reasons that I'm having him on the show is so that he can share his unique perspective and experiences with fitness and nutrition. Some of you might be thinking, okay, I'm never going to run an ultra race like Brian. I'm never even going to run a, a marathon or even a 5k. Maybe you're thinking that, but I want you to stick with me, stick with this interview. Brian has a lot of really important and beneficial things to share with us. So Brian, first question, part two of this interview, I want to ask you what has been the funnest, most memorable race that you've done? Well, those are two different things. First, I'm glad to be back with you. But yes, fun and most memorable. I'm going to have to, the first gut reaction is in 2017. So it's been a few years now, uh, five years. I did an Ironman, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and a 26.2 mile marathon all in a row. And I did those in Sweden. So that was definitely the most fun. And it was the most memorable of all my long distance events. It was the most fun because I was in Sweden. That was amazing. That was when I learned that my name Anderson, my last name Anderson was missing an S. So it was a little bit of a a cultural awareness trip. I took my daughter. So that was a fun trip too. And, and her favorite day was she was only actually 15 and a half at the time. And her favorite day was when I was doing the Ironman because that's when she was on her own and just hanging around town and shopping. <laughs> but while I was swimming for an hour and 20 minutes and then riding my bike for about five and a half hours and then running a marathon, she was just enjoying herself. It was memorable because the people of Sweden were an amazing support, especially during the bike portion. It was fun to see part of a good portion of Sweden. And then it was also memorable because that was kind of my foray into an event that lasted longer than five hours. And so I learned a lot about myself and about the capabilities of my body and about my ability to push through something that seemed impossible. I learned some things about nutrition and hydration that I didn't know before that race. It's tough to learn in a race, but it's but it's pretty pretty frequent that racing is kind of where you put certain things into practice. And it's important if you are going to race to just race, not necessarily as much as you can, but regularly, because it's just a little bit of a different sort of uh, experience. It's a crucible, really. Can I can I interject with a question? Sure. Because this brings uh -huh. up something, so many thoughts, first of all, about racing. So I'm putting myself in the spot of, well, I am a mom and I'm a very busy mom. So one of the thoughts that I have had whenever I think about, so I ran a half marathon over a I can't even remember over a decade ago, I ran, that was my one race that I ran and I did pretty good. And I think that if I would have stuck with it, I, I think that I, I could make a runner out of myself yet, but that's not really my passion, but this idea of racing, I will have, you know, part of the reason why I don't think that I'm ever going to get into ultra racing is because my whole life is an ultra race as a mom of, of many, many children. And being a military wife, it's just, I feel like I'm running an ultra race. However, going back to, to your racing experience and how we can apply this to, you know, our average listener, the, a busy mom, I think that there are so many parallels. Like you've said, you, you learned so much during the race. That's the crucible for learning. And there really is no replacement. And so how do you think your experiences with racing, and we're kind of transitioning a little bit. I would love to hear all of your experiences with your various races. Cause you've also run, you know, races that have lasted like a full day. Is that right? Like up a mountain? My longest, yes. 14 hours was my longest run. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 
But see, mm-hmm. I'm listening to that and, and you're saying you think you like racing because you feel like it teaches you the power and the capability of your body, which you prior to doing that particular event didn't think that your body could do that, right? Right, and, exactly. You're going sort of into the unknown. Yeah, you're you're going into the unknown. But mama's out there, that is what you are doing each time you conceive and have a child, go through the pregnancy process, go through the birth process. So there are so many applications to what Brian is talking about and to what we do as moms. If you are a mom who has birthed a child, you know what I'm talking about. If you are a mom, uh, a stepmom or adopted a child, just mothering is an endurance sport in and of itself. Real quick. Yeah, yeah th- there's so, so there's a one of the philosophical approaches I have toward racing is that it's in addition to this crucible, it's interesting to have these conversations out loud without scripting them or ha- having had them before. But there's a literary technique called Mies and a beam. It mm-hmm. means a story within a story. Mm hmm. And what what preparing for a race allows you to do, so yes, raising a child is a long, is a long race. It's a big, yes. it's this big endeavor. And mm-hmm. taking something that's hard and but that's contained within a period of time that you can kind of wrap your head around mm-hmm. is sort of practice for that bigger thing. Yes. Right? So, so you have this story within a story, you can go and you can conquer this thing. Mm -hmm. And if you can conquer this small thing, if it's a 5k and then a 10k and then a half marathon, and you put certain preparation into it and certain amount of thought, if you can do that small thing, then maybe you can do this bigger thing. And maybe there's some sort of experiences that you can gain through going through that process. And so for each person, it's gonna be different. But but I find a lot of value in just in just kind of there's a, a one of my favorite sayings is an answer to the question how do you eat an elephant the answer is one bite at a time mm-hmm. and yeah so it, it seems impossible like oh there's no way I could right. do that yes but, but but when you actually go and you take steps towards doing it you're like wait a second I can do that oh my yeah. goodness I did that yeah. And, and you can, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my approach to all of these races and some of them are bigger and some are smaller, but I learned different things in them. Well, I think, I think what you're talking about, Brian translates to all of fitness, whether it be with races, whether it be with powerlifting. I just interviewed Bree Schwartz recently and she shared her experience with powerlifting. So whether it be with racing, powerlifting, resistance training, or just being consistent with any sort of type of fitness that challenges you, you are able to take those, like you said, contained experiences where you're taking something really difficult, you're breaking it into chunks. Because when you're training, and we could talk all day long about your methods for training, but when you're training for these races, you have a program. Again, you're not you're not trying to consume the whole elephant all in one bite. You're breaking it up into very manageable, you know, a a training program that will get you ready for that final race. And that's what fitness is. You know, when I work with uh, a client who wants to get stronger, I'm not going to say, okay, we're going to go do a hundred squats on with the barbell at the squat rack. And I'm going to, we're going to start at a hundred pounds, you know, and they've never done a squat before. First of all, I would never do a hundred reps with a barbell, but we could do, you know, we could do a 60 total reps by breaking it up into sets of like 12 reps. Mm -hmm. So breaking things down into sizable chunks. This is why fitness is so much more than just the physical act of whatever you're doing. For example, your races, your races are, it's not just you running, right? I mean, what are some of the profound thoughts that have come to you that you've been able to use in your, as a dad, in your relationship, maybe with your wife or with other people? What are some of the philosophies or things that you have been able to really use in a practical way that have translated into your day-to-day life, whether it be business, relationships, parenting, how has fitness helped you in that way? So one thing, we'll just stay with the races just for a little bit longer. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you, you get to the start line. So training for these things sometimes can seem daunting and you can feel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing something hard. You're not sure you're going to be able to do it. 
So you get to the start line and you see all these people around you that all have the same goal. They want to go out there. They want to do their best. And you're there with them. And you look around and you're just like, wow, you know, I thought I was crazy. I still kind of think I'm crazy. But all these other people, all these other people are crazy, too. <laughs> right? Yeah. And 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 so there's energy there. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the points is that there is strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. There is strength in coming together and in joining a certain community of mm-hmm. like-minded people and people that are trying to improve. Yes. And trying to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I've actually met a lot of people in these different races and sometimes it's it's halfway through the race and you're just you're both exhausted and you start talking and you develop friendships. Yeah. And those those friendships stay over time. Hey there, just Janae here, and I wanted to take a moment and let you know about my new Fuel and Fit Accelerate program. I currently offer one-on-one coaching services, but on December 8th, I will open the doors to enrollment to my new eight-week group coaching package that will begin after the first of the year. My Accelerate program is perfect if you're looking for greater accountability, support, community and guidance in your fitness and wellness journey. This is an eight-week training program for fat loss, increasing muscular endurance, strength, and overall fitness, and will include a gym-only training as well as at-home-only training options. This online program includes both nutritional coaching and a well-rounded training program accessible through the Trainerize app, weekly live group Q&As, a private Facebook group, bonus video workouts from me, including 30 to 60 minute yoga flows you can stream from anywhere, plus over $100 in bonus materials, all to get you in the best shape of your life. The program will begin on January 9th with registration opening to the public December 8th. As a bonus to my podcast listeners, that's you. I'm offering a discount of $40 off the $279 base price using code fueled 40. As an added bonus, you can save an additional $60 if you register before December 20th using code EARLYBIRD60. If you want to take advantage of these amazing savings as well as get additional information about the program, go to JanaeWise.com slash accelerate. Again, my Fueled and Fit 8-Week Accelerate group coaching program will be kicking off January 9th. 2023 with doors to registration opening December 8th and podcast listeners can save up to $100 by using the coupon codes fueled 40 and early bird 60. But hurry space is limited and registration will close once spots are all filled. You can check out all the details at janaywise.com slash accelerate. All right, back to the show. So one of the other things about raising that's a little bit different from parenting, when you're having a child or about to have a child, you're not thinking about the next child. You're all consumed with that child. And in racing, it can be that way. But what I've learned is that you don't want to be that way. And I've seen examples over and over. I am a fan of the sport and of any sport, actually. And so I've seen this over and over, whether it's in running or in football or in soccer or in the Olympics, people have a goal. They want to get to a certain point. They get to that point and then they don't have anything lined up afterwards. They get to that point. They feel the satisfaction of completing their goal of achieving something great. Mm. And then they don't have anything next. What's next? Yeah. And I've learned over the years that I always have to have something next. Yeah. And if I do, if I do my, the race or the goal that I'm going for, once I get it, I'm like, okay, that was good. I'm glad I did it. I have the satisfaction, but it's on to the next thing because Uh the race itself wasn't really why I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm going through this process. I'm enjoying the process. I'm trying to grow and trying to develop myself in different ways. And the only way to really kind of to be successful, I'm really interested in the long-term benefits 
And I'm in, interested in the longevity of the journey more than I am in the pinnacle of whatever sport that I might be participating in. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always have something next. So I use an app called Strava. Okay. It's yeah. a fitness app where it allows me to record my runs and walks and, mm -hmm. and bike rides and be part of a community, a few hundred, a couple hundred people that I follow or that follow me. And we kind of cheer each other on through our activities and you have an avatar. And so the avatar is kind of the, your way of telling other people what sport you're interested in. Mm -hmm. And this year, my, my main focus was on the marathon. But as I was approaching the marathon that I was about to run, I said, what's next? Next, and what's next was mountain bike racing. And so before I had even run my marathon, I changed my avatar from a running avatar to a mountain bike, a, a picture of me on my mountain bike. And to me, it was kind of a signal like I'm really focused on my goal of being successful in the marathon. And I, and I was, I got a personal best on my marathon, but thank you. But even, even more important than the success that I had in the marathon was this idea that it's a long-term process mm -hmm. and I'm enjoying every step and there's always something more. It's not that I'm not satisfied. I think I get a lot of satisfaction each step I go through, mm -hmm. but that I always want to have something waiting for me when I accomplish my goal. There's no no real time for me to to kind of rest on my laurels. Well, no, no one's ever going to accuse you of that, Brian. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> but, uh, you know, anyway, and this... that's, that, that's something to think about. Yeah, no. And you brought up so many things, food for thought, really. A few things that jumped out at me, community, the need for community. You, you, I think that Really, you're hitting at the heart of what we need as individuals, as human beings here on this earth. We crave community. My big thing is movement. However you you satisfy that need, whether it be daily walks, daily hikes, bike rides, weightlifting, in your case, all of the above. But we have these, you know, you talk about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You have your, your base primal needs. And then it just kind of goes goes up to self-actualization, which is the top. And I think that as a society, we've reached a point in our, our modern society where we do have the ability. We have many of us have the resources. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're middle to upper class and you're a Westerner. So you likely have the resources to to get to that point. Now you might be super stressed out and strapped for time and on and on but you're in a really good place better than our ancestors for the you know majority of the history of the world ever were so so we're 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 in a position you and I are in a position where we can reach that, you know, self-actualization or at least attempt to, but we need community. We need movement. We need things that stretch us. I, I completely agree with you about not wanting to rest on your laurels. That to me is a recipe for depression. And I think that's why so many people are depressed is because they're not having that community. They're not having that movement and they're not having anything that really truly challenges them or gets them excited about waking up in the morning. So as a little bit of a side note, I just want to say that that is kind of what racing in my mind has accomplished for you, Brian, is giving you something to really work towards. And we all, we yes. all need, we all need that. And, and it gets you something, it gives you something to be really be passionate and excited about every day. And that's also really, really important for all of us, whether you're male, female, parent or non-parent, you know, we, we all need that. So I was actually talking to a client recently who she really wants to wake up early in the morning and have a morning routine. She had, she's a mom of young children and her kind of thing is like, well, she just, she's just. She really loves the idea of waking up early and having a morning routine and getting her day started before her family gets up, but she just can't make it work. And my whole thing was like, well, it really comes down to being excited about life. If you have things that you're working towards and that you're passionate about, you'll be excited to get up early in the morning. And yes. And I, you, right? Will you? Would you agree with that, Brian? Absolutely. But if you don't have anything to work towards, and you're not super excited about the trajectory of your life or things that you're working on, then yeah, it's going to sound a lot better to just sleep in, you know? <laughs> All right. So let's get into, I want you to take a moment and just teach us, teach us what you have learned 
about fitness? Because again, I, I want to stress, I I know that most people are not going to listen to this and be like, I'm going to sign up for my next ultra marathon race, like the next available ultra, ultra marathon race in my area. That's probably not going to be the case. But I want my listeners to be inspired by your commitment and dedication to fitness and the things that you have learned. So teach us, what have you learned? What can fitness give a person? What can fitness give a mom? So I'm going to start with sort of the foundations of health and fitness and what I think we lack most in our current society as far as getting getting a little confused about what what's most important, what's most fundamental about being healthy and well. And I think I think a lot of times we feel like if we just exercise more we'll be in better shape. And mm. that's probably not true because probably we need to treat exercise and diet with the 80-20 rule mm -hmm. and treat our diet as if it's 80% of the equation and mm -hmm. exercise as if it's 20% of the equation. Definitely. But even before diet and exercise, I think with the electronics and light and the way we live our lives, what I found is that I wasn't sleeping properly. Mm. And I think the foundation for overall health, the biggest weakness and the easiest place to address, like getting to that point where you can be consistent mm. is making sure that you have the right setup for sleep. Mm. I didn't for several years. I, I'm a, I'm kind of a funny sleeper. I'm really sensitive to light mm -hmm. and me too, uh, especially in Northern latitudes. Uh, I live in Washington state and, yeah. and in the summer, the sun comes up like at four 30, five mm -hmm. in the morning. And as soon as any light would come in, I would wake up and I'd be like, Oh, I'm awake. And I would jump yeah. up. I would go, go about my day. And every few days I would start falling asleep a little early. And this was only four or five years ago. I happened upon Matthew Walker is the expert on sleep. And I listened to one of his Ted talks. I read his book and I realized that I was missing the last hour of sleep. There are four phases of sleep. Everyone kind of has four phases of sleep. And, and for some people that it might be six hours, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours. And what the science kind of shows is it's not as important how much sleep you're getting. But if you look at a week long period or a month long period, is your sleep pattern consistent? Mm -hmm. Are you going to sleep close to the same time, waking up close to the same time? Are mm -hmm. you getting approximately the same number of minutes of sleep every night. For me, it's around eight hours and 20 minutes from so getting into bed. <laughs> <laughs> for, from getting into bed to waking up. So like 9.50 p.m. to 6.10 a.m. Oh, if I man. end up going... If I go if I go to bed at 10 p.m., then I'm waking up at 6:20 a.m. I mean, anyway, that sounds like a dream. I kind of, <laughs> I do have very good dreams, <laughs> but but th but this was something. So so by the time I figured this out, I mean, I I had been not getting the right sleep, and so I would regularly kind of fall asleep early, fall asleep reading to my kids or mm. watching a movie. Yeah, and ever since I acknowledge the importance of sleep. I rarely have to take a nap. I rarely fall asleep early. I'm just not having those issues. And I've also seen the effect on my own physical performance. So I think I think I would just point people to Andrew Huberman is one of the podcasters that I listen to. And he's a neurologist, neuroscientist, I should say. And we'll put this uh, all uh, in the, sh we'll put this in the, I'll put this in the yeah. show notes for the okay. listeners so they can, yeah. they can look it to the things that you're referencing because we definitely uh -huh. want people to be able to do more research yeah. um, if they would like to. So, yeah. Yeah. So Andrew Huberman has a list that you can follow, a quiz that you can take to figure out how well you're doing with sleep and what, what areas you can improve on. And so I'm not going to go into all the different things, but having a cool room, having a dark room yes, and this, and this regularity of sleep is the most important thing you can do. And so you just start with the little things mm -hmm. and then over time, you know, don't treat sleep like a luxury. This is the second yes. thing that I've learned. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And I would also add, I don't know if you're going to uh -huh. go here, but I would say don't treat fitness like a luxury. Fitness is in my mind is not a luxury. It's like brushing your teeth. Everyone exactly. needs everyone needs fitness in their life. If you care about aging really well and aging in a way where you're not dealing with hip fractures and osteoporosis and any number of highly preventable chronic diseases, then fitness ought to be right up there with yeah, proper sleep, 
good nutrition, good hygiene. Absolutely. So yes, this this next thing I was going to say was there's a mindset, a paradigm shift that I had when I was in my mid 30s. And I, I realized I had enjoyed my life up to that point, but I felt like the second half of my life was in some ways more important, or at least I wanted to be, I wanted it to be more important than the first half of my life. Living your that's life in crescendo. That, Living yeah, your life in crescendo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not to say that um, starting my family and going to school and all those things weren't important, but I had this epiphany one day that if I didn't take control of my health, that if I didn't focus more on those things, that maybe that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so, so since then, I've treated exercise and nutrition more like a job and not a job in the way of like hard work. I enjoy mm-hmm. what I do. Yeah. But as a responsibility, as a responsibility, and, yes. And, and almost a primary focus. Like if I want to do, for instance, I enjoy running. I just like, I'll, I'll go out and run and I'll, I'll really enjoy it. But I have to, I realized at some point that I had to treat the actual act of running as sort of icing on the cake and nutrition and mobility and stretching and recovery as sort of the meal, the main oh. course. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people will treat the act of running as the main course, like that's what they want to do. And they don't want to do anything to prepare for it. They don't want to do anything to recover from it. And then they end up getting injured. It's like skipping so the warm up and the cool down. People don't right. People don't want to do a proper warm up and they really don't ever want to do a cool down. So they don't stretch afterwards because they don't have, quote, right. they don't have time. And then they, and then really it ends up biting them in the, you know, in the mm-hmm. hiney because you know, they, 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 they injure themselves and then they're out for a couple of weeks or more. So, right. So having sort of a paradigm shift and treating overall fitness, not as a recreational thing, but as a way of life and Mm. as an important part of my life so that I could just function generally and do the things that I feel like I want to do, I want to be able to do. It's really just became part of part of who I am and who I feel like I should be. And that that change in focus, you know, you you made a comment earlier, a lot of your listeners are very busy. And I'm, so I'm going to say something very scandalous. You asked me one of my favorite quotes, and I said it was a Tim Ferriss quote, and I, mm. I don't have it memorized verbatim, but he said that busyness is a form of laziness. It's indiscriminate thought and indiscriminate action. Now, I would never say that about a parent uh, of eight children. <laughs> that That's just going to be naturally busy. But his idea is sometimes and often we get overly busy because we won't make a decision about the things that are most important to us. Yes. And we don't weed out the things from our lives that maybe we really shouldn't be doing. Maybe yes, we don't really have time for those things because we really need to make time for what's more important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, compl- I completely agree, Brian. I'm so glad that you brought that thought up that you shared the Tim Ferriss quote. And my my whole thing with moms, and I can speak from experience, my thing is Often we think that certain things are essential. For example, we have to make birthday parties. That's a good example. Birthday parties, we have a culture in a lot of places in West, the Western world and certain socioeconomic status is, I don't know how to say that plural, but that we have to throw these birthday parties that are themed, that have, you know, that last for hours, that are in a location where we have to pay for that location. And we have to do all the fancy invites and maybe even invite or or hire a party planner. And so these birthday parties are costing $500 and they're taking a month or two to plan. They're taking so much time and energy and resources. And there's just this expectation that kids, small kids, I'm not talking necessarily teenagers, but that the small kids need these huge birthday parties. And it's like, who, whoever said that you had to do that? No, no one. I mean, the beautiful thing about having a large family and being in the military is it's caused us to be very scrappy with our resources. Meaning even if we wanted to do those big birthday parties as a big family, we just can't. 
we don't have the time or the resources, or rather we've chosen not to put our time because our, our resources are quite limited per kid. So, you know, this idea of busyness, I think a lot of times it's these expectations that are false or, or rather incorrect. Like we, we think that, you know, we have these expectations that we put on ourselves because, oh, our family expects this certain thing, or our friends expect this certain thing, or our culture expects me to do this. And it's like, you know what? I have to be completely honest. I live a very streamlined life right now, my life. And it's been this way for many years. And people ask me, how do you do everything that you do? And it's like, you know what? I cut most of the things out that people do. I don't even do that. I don't. And especially now that we live here in Japan, I spend very little time commuting. My kids walk to school or I walk them to school. I have teenagers who drive now. We live on base. We do very little driving. So I spend almost no time in the car. I know a lot of people can't necessarily maneuver that depending on where you live, but maybe you don't have to sign up your kid to be in soccer when they're five years old. That was another thing that we cut out many years ago. We just decided our kids aren't going to do little kids sports. They're not going to do sports until they can be more invested minimum of eight, nine. There's no reason why you need to be having your four-year-old in t-ball. You know, there's just really no reason or even your three-year-old in dance. You know, mm-hmm. your your three-year-old, if your three-year-old is going to be a dancer, she's she can be a dancer when she's six or seven. And so they're just these things that, yes, we create all of this busyness because we think we have to do certain things. But that paradigm yeah. shift of being like, hold on, who said I have to do that? Who said mm-hmm. I have to make my salsa from scratch and that I have to spend, you know, like another thing is home improvement projects. Home improvement projects are great, but that's not anything that we've done for several years now because we live in military housing and I'm thrilled about it. I love that it frees up so much mental energy, financial resources. We're not spending any money at all on any sort of, you know, fix up project or uh, remodels or anything like that. And I know a lot of people spend a lot of time and a lot of money on that. And that's something that who says you have to do that? Maybe live in a different house or, you know, think creatively. So anyway, Brian, yep. I want to go back to just to kind of so much that we could talk about today, but I want to kind of finish up our interview and have you talk about, well, go, do you have any more thoughts on fitness before we dive into nutrition, just to end what tips or insights or recommendations do you have for just the average person who is wanting to up their fitness game. Yeah. So the third thing that I was going to say, so I, I said, oh, yeah. uh, I think sleep is probably founded mm-hmm. yeah. and addressing any weaknesses that you have related to that, showing okay. it up as much as you can mm-hmm. based on your situation. The second thing was sort of having a paradigm shift about how you treat fitness and nutrition as being not nice things to have in your life, but the mm-hmm. things that will get you what you actually really want in life. Mm-hmm. And then the, the third thing is, okay, so acknowledging that busyness, even though it might be hard to kind of get away. Okay. It is hard to get away from busyness. That's just part of the culture and it's hard to swim, to be counterculture, to swim upstream. And so acknowledge that it's going to be easy to get caught up in that trap. And the way you acknowledge that is by making it as easy as possible for you to have exercise in your day. So for me, that was changing my desk at work from a sit down desk to a stand up desk. Mm-hmm. It was also moving my office. Not everyone's going to have these options, right? But moving my office from the lower level to the upper level. So now I'm using the stairs five oh. or 10 times a day to get to my office. Or we're doing this with my son. My son wants to get better at doing pull-ups. He's, he's really into ninja warrior type of activities. We have a shop in the backyard. It takes a little bit of work to go to the shop. Well, what we're going to do with him is we're going to put a pull-up bar right above his door. It doesn't take a ton of effort, but it's going to be right there. It's going to be easy for him to do just do five or 10 as he's going through back and forth. So make things that you want to do as easy as possible for you to do. 
Yes. BJ Fogg. BJ Fogg is all about that. Yes. Low, making the making whatever Tiny you habits. want. Yes. Making it scalable and making the barrier to entry very, very low. So yeah, putting the pull-up bar right yes. there in his room. This is why I recommend walking for everyone. It's a very low barrier to entry. Yes. What do you what do you do? You step outside. And if it's cold outside, you put on cold weather gear. You know, I mean it's you couldn't have it almost an easier exercise and it's accessible. I mean, if you live in an unsafe neighborhood, maybe that's, maybe that is a higher barrier to entry, but. Yeah. And then the, the, the opposite of that is acknowledge your weaknesses and make them harder for you to access. Oh, so, such a good one. And especially when it comes yeah. to food. Yes. That's called right. cleaning up your food environment. <laughs> right. So a number of people that I've talked to, they have a weakness for potato chips or packaged foods or whatever. And I said, well, acknowledge that weakness. That's okay. You live in your house. And if your kids are eating it, say, sorry, you're not going to be able to eat those things because I can't eat those things. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't want that in my house. You don't have to have that in your house just because your kids like it. True. Yeah. That's so, another, that's another paradigm shift. You get to decide as the adult who pays the bills, you can decide right. what food is in your house. And if, if it's really a priority for them, they can figure out how to get it. You know, especially if they're older kids, they can figure out a way right. to get it on their own, on their own time, on their own dime. Right. So I think those are the three main things that I've learned as far as uh, just really general uh, approaches to fitness. Okay. So the first was sleep. sleep proper sleep, pro which is people are like, that has nothing to do with fitness, but it actually really, really does. And you explained it. So sleep. And then the second one, you talked about busyness. Was that? So the second one was acknowledging that nutrition and exercise or general overall health is crucial to a happy life. It is not an extra. It is not a bonus. Yeah. And then yeah. third is the paradigm shift about busyness. Yes. The paradigm shift about business. You really don't need to be busy. There are some great books, including uh, The 4-Hour Week by Tim Ferriss and Essentialism. I want to read that Greg, one. I want to read Greg that one. McCune. Which one? Essentialism? Or uh, four hour work week. Four hour work week. Have you ever heard of Mr. Money Mustache? Yes. He has a blog. I think I think you would like a lot of what he preaches, which is so much of what he preaches. And I found him years ago and he's been around for a long time. He, his whole thing is early retirement, but it's really a philosophy that is what it, it, he yeah. teaches, yes. which is stoicism which resonates with me. I'm a very pragmatic, practical person. And so it's interesting. He, I wouldn't quite call him a minimalist because there's more to what he does than just basic, you know, minimalism. And also my whole family, mm -hmm. family size choices runs counter to what he would recommend. <laughs> He, he he has one kid and, and his whole mm -hmm. thing is like, I can bike around. He's really big into biking. He's very anti-car. Anyway, for listeners out there, I've I've been recommending him for years back when I had my blog and I've had people reach out to me over the years saying, thank you so much for introducing me to Mr. Money Mustache. He helped us get out of debt and, you know, live the kind of lifestyle that we want. And so, yeah, he's all about like, don't buy the leaf blower, break your darn leaves. You need to get some exercise sort of thing. So I don't, yeah, I can't remember so, if we'd talked about Mr. Money Mustache before or not, but no, we hadn't. But so, so the last one is acknowledging that even though you don't really they need to be busy and that, but that it's hard, it's hard to escape in our culture and society. And so set yourself up for success, even acknowledging that you might get busy unintentionally, but setting yourself up so that the things that you value are as easy as possible for you to accomplish. Yes. And the things that you don't want in your life are as hard as possible for you to accomplish. Because really, for some people, it's as simple as, for instance, if you have a hard time with alcohol mm -hmm. or if you have alcoholism in your family, one step is to not, right, the, the, the first thing would be no alcohol in the home. But the second thing would be, well, if you can't control whether or not there's alcohol in the home, depending on roommates or whatever, is have a liquor cabinet that you don't have a key to. So mm -hmm. it's just setting yourself up for success yes. by making the things that are hard for you even harder to achieve. And you find that over time, most things within a few weeks of leaving them behind 
you no longer have that temptation. Your body has changed. Your mind has changed. You've changed the neural pathways. You've changed your gut microbiome by getting rid of those things that are no longer, that you know are not healthy for you. Well, your body no longer needs them. Well, Brian, James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, has a whole section in his book about your environment and the power of environment. And really, after reading that, especially that part about environment, he talks about heroin addicts from the Vietnam War. So many of the vets were coming back heroin addicts. But actually, what they found is once they were removed from the environment where they had access to heroin, almost all of them got clean. And it was like, wait, I thought they were addicts. And really, so much of our, quote, addictions, it's just a it's just an environment problem. We are so sensitive to our environments and we adapt to our environments. We adapt and and we are responsive to triggers, whether it be food triggers, behavioral triggers. And so just setting ourselves up for success, like you said, with our environment, whether it be investing in a treadmill. So you see it every day. I mean, I don't, that's not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to use it, but just making these things super accessible. Yeah. It's very important. Okay. In the last kind of five minutes that we have left, Brian, oh my goodness, we need to do a whole other episode just on nutrition because Brian, (laughs) our dear listener, has done so many different kind of variations on diet and he's learned a lot of really important things. So Brian, in the last few minutes that we have, share a few nuggets of what you've learned about nutrition over the years. Yeah, let, let's do a preview of what we would talk about in a future future podcast. Sure, sure. And, yeah, sounds good. And that would start off with the statement that I don't believe there is a best diet for an individual necessarily, okay? Mm-hmm. I have cycled in and out and through and use every diet you can imagine. I believe it. Uh, at different times <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I recall reading The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. It's been long enough that I couldn't really tell you all the things that were in the book, but because we are human and because we are omnivores and because we have access to all kinds of things and we have a long history of having access to all kinds of things. Yes. Our bodies are actually really well adapted to be able to eat almost anything. Yes. Uh, that is so important. In the, the, Such an important point yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we can eat almost anything yeah. and, and our bodies will adapt and For a short period of time, we can actually be successful. One of my favorite funny scientific experiments was the Twinkie diet, Mm -hmm. uh, where a a scientist ate so many Twinkies and just pure junk food for a month, lost weight because he was counting the calories. Right. That that is not advisable, but our body can do it and our body's resilient. Now, I have experimented with vegan diets for years, uh, vegetarian diets, carnivore diet, ketogenic diet. And what I've learned is that your body does make adaptations. There are certain ways of eating, certain styles of eating, even eating at certain times that your body is going to be most comfortable with. And whenever I talk to somebody initially about, you know, they come to me and they say, Hey, what do you do for your diet? What do you recommend for me? One of the first questions I might ask is, you know what? All I want you to do, have you ever tracked what you're eating? No, I've never really tracked what I'm eating. I just want you to track what you're eating. So powerful. So powerful. Women don't, women don't want to do it though, because it brings back PTSD of like Weight Watchers or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Get that out of your head. We're looking at it like a scientist. Okay. Tracking enables you to gather data. We are data gatherers. You track what you want to manage. We're just paying attention. Yes. Yeah. Just pay attention. So important. what diet is best for you at the moment could vary from moment to moment, from week to week, from month to month. And it certainly varies for me when I'm in a heavier exercise period, I'm ingesting more carbohydrates. There are some athletes that are ingesting very little carbohydrates and that works for them. It doesn't tend to work for me. So then another thing that I look at, besides the fact that we're omnivores and and we're very highly adaptable, well, just because we are doesn't mean there's not a, a diet that might be a little bit easier for us to, for our body to respond to. And so then I say, well, what do your parents, what did your parents eat when they were your age? What were your grandparents eating? And kind of look at ancestral diet. There's a lot of new research on epigenetics and how our genes may have adapted to the foods that we're eating. 
Uh, there's really good evidence that the Japanese, for instance, are very good at digesting seaweed. And outside of Japan, most people are not very good at digesting seaweed. Yeah. So there are certain things that you may have inherited from your parents or your grandparents that may be easier to adapt your your diet or to be able to adapt your diet. And so it's I'm, important to kind of ask those questions. Go ahead. Okay, so there's not necessarily a best diet for you as an individual, but there could be a better diet based on your ancestry or your culture or your history. So taking those two things, kind of starting with those two, I'm going to call them axioms, even if they're not maybe technically axioms, starting with that, the next step is just to experiment a little bit with what that means for you. And my favorite way to do it is to take the simplest of diets, which are elimination diets, mm -hmm. and go from there. And I've done that. I do that regularly. I do that throughout the year where I'll just have a very simple diet for a period of time, and then I'll make it more complex. What I have noticed, you know, a lot of people don't like to track their calories. I actually kind of enjoy using my fitness pal. I've used it off and on for several years, and it's kind of second nature to me. I like mm -hmm. the data. Yeah. I use Chronometer, but, uh, but yeah, but, there's a lot of good apps out yeah. there actually that can do, it's yeah, not just my similar. fitness pal, but my fitness pal is probably the most user-friendly in terms of being able to connect. So for example, for my coaching clients, I use the Trainerize app. The Trainerize app has the ability to sync with MyFitnessPal. And that's just something nice when you use those bigger, more well-known. Yeah. Chronometer is quite small in terms of how many people actually mm. use Chronometer. The software is excellent. They've been around for a very long time. And I like it because it gets very granular. I'm used to it. Mm. I, I like to weigh my food in grams. My fitness pal isn't always consistent with that. So right. in, in terms of finding foods, you know, to measure in grams. So anyway, it's not really important. I mean, the the app that you use to track is not right. the most important thing, really. It's not even a significant detail. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, you could you could use a piece of paper or a spreadsheet or you could take pictures. Yeah, through um, the eight app. The eight app does that. The point pictures. is, yep, and that's awesome. And and the, the point is, is just to kind of be aware of what you're eating. And what I've yeah. noticed is is that when I do an elimination diet, when I'm eating very simple and I I realize that my normal diet, the normal American diet, even if you're eating healthy, you're eating a wide variety of things mm -hmm. and you could be eating 10 or 20 or 30 different things in a given day. And so when you run into something like gluten sensitivity, a belief that you might have gluten sensitivity or irritable bowel symptoms or different things, unless you do an elimination diet, it's really hard to tease out what it is that you're eating that could be bothering you or that could be affecting your performance in exercise or that could be causing inflammation. And so really, I encourage most people in their journey, it's always, we always have this idea, like, I just want to lose five pounds. I just want to lose 10 pounds. Yeah. Instead of, instead of saying... I want to lose five or 10 pounds. How about just hold on a second. Don't try to change the world. You didn't gain those five pounds in a, in a week or a month. Just stop for a second and just observe where you are before you change your direction. And that's what doing a simple sort of elimination diet. There are a number of different elimination diets that you could do. Carnivore diet, in fact, is a type of elimination diet. Ketogenic diet is a type of elimination diet. And then uh, the first elimination diet I ever did was after my Sweden Ironman, I had leading up to that, I I was exercising so much and I was trying to get the calories. Instead of listening to my body, I was kind of just trying to force calories down. And occasionally I was eating very poorly <laughs> just mm -hmm. to get those calories mm -hmm. and ended up getting to the end. And afterwards was just feeling like, wow, my body is, did not respond well to that. Mm -hmm. I did an elimination diet where I eliminated uh, soy dairy, nuts, sugar, and meat for a three-week period. And then I slowly reintroduced some of those things back in. And that was kind of a pivoting point for me as far as paying a little closer attention to how I was treating my body with the food that I was consuming. Mm, yeah. Lots, lots of things to learn there with an elimination diet. And, you know, Brian, we're going to continue this. Like I said, I'm going to have you back on soon 
and we'll just have a whole show dedicated to nutrition. That's something that's on the mind of many people. They want to improve their nutrition. I will say just as a side note, and I make it pretty clear, I think if you look on my Instagram feed that I am plant-based, I've been plant-based for 16 plus years. My family is vegetarian, more or less. We eat vegetarian at home. My older kids, you know, they make their own choices, but my teenagers for the most part are ethically and environmentally committed to the idea of being plant-based because there are a lot of benefits for the environment, namely the water that is used to produce a pound of meat. That's something that's really kind of hit hit home to them. And my husband as an attorney studied water rights pretty in depth in, in college. And we've had some extensive discussions on how the West is drying up and how, you know, using all of that water to raise beefs just so we can have a hamburger. It doesn't really make sense. So for them, they're more persuaded by like the environmental kind of aspects of being vegetarian, not vegan, by the way, they're not vegan. I'm not vegan either. I was vegan for about eight years and I'm mostly vegan now uh, still just, but I do eat egg whites mostly. I, I'll have an egg, you know, I'll, I'll eat eggs, but I usually don't eat eggs. Usually it's egg whites and Greek yogurt. I'm lactose intolerant. So that is one food that does not agree with me for sure. Um, But yeah, I'm all about, like you said, you brought up the elimination diet, understanding how your body responds to food is crucial. For me, my biggest thing is I see uh, when I work with a client, I want them to take ownership of their life. And that starts with in my mind, taking ownership of their body, because your body, if you don't have ownership over your body, if you don't know what you're consuming on a day-to-day basis, everything is just kind of thrown at you and you eat whatever, whenever there's no structure, there's no routine with your, like you said, your sleep. I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm super big on routine. I'm super big on structure. You got to have those things. And so when it comes to food, like you said, trying to wrap all this up here as we conclude, but just our bodies are able to, if you look out you know, through the his- history of the world, you know, I do, I'm a religious person. I know you are too, Brian. I believe that God put us on this earth to be happy and to find success. And whether we're born in Alaska or South America or some island in the Pacific, we can find health and happiness no matter what our access to food is. I mean, there, and there are so many different types of foods all over the world. And that's something that the military has definitely taught me is there's no cookie cutter way of eating. There are a lot of different ways to eat. But what I will say is what overall our bodies cannot tolerate, and this is across the board, is excess calories, excess calories. If we are consistently overfeeding ourselves, that is when all the chronic disease happens. So a lot of people blame it on a specific food and yeah, you're not going to really get fat on eating just potatoes, but if you eat fried potatoes, yeah, that's going to be really easy to be overfed. Yeah. I'm going to add to that excess calories and overly processed foods. Definitely. In other words, Mm -hmm. in other words, when you eat those calories, because Your they're body. hyper hyper palatable, and so they're really right. easy to over. They're easy to over consume. What I mean, the 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 term Franken food is something that's thrown around a lot that I don't super love, but I think that it just helps to encapsulate this idea that the food has been you know turned into something that doesn't even really resemble its original state at all. Yeah. I'm fine well, with minimal process. Pr- minimal processing is fine. There are a lot of things that we process. Bread, for example, you know, we have to process. Br- there are there is some processing that right. happens in order eat, to make. We bread. can't eat the wheat berries, right? Yes. we can't eat the wheat berries on own. But yeah, I, I've found that our our bodies not only are we healthier if we have to work to make our food. For instance, yeah. I stay away from pasta, but if I made my own pasta. It's I really think good. My body would my body would be a lot happier because I'm yeah. actually burning a hundred calories just making the pasta before I eat it. Sure. And then uh and then our body actually wants to work to digest the food. If if yeah. we make it too easy for the body to digest the food, then not so much with, with fats, but easy to digest carbohydrates or just your body does not know what to do with uh so there, there, there is so yeah, I would say that, to talk about. Well, there is a place. We'll end on this note. 
There is a place for easy digestible carbohydrate. And I would say as a nutrition coach and a personal trainer, I would say if you're going to eat, so I love bagels and I have Mm -hmm. found that is my best pre-workout food because it's super easy to digest gives me because I work out first thing in the morning. And so, I mean, not first, first thing, but if I eat a bagel, then about a half an hour later, it's it's, it's there. I got the energy. It, it's, I'm not having all that fiber that's getting in the way, which fiber is super important, but so there is a place for refined carbohydrate, but, but that's where but you said sports nutrition comes in. Yeah. Did say bagels <laughs> and bagels are fermented the way that they're made. And so the way your body digests them, it's a little bit better than for instance, just plain white bread. That is something that I did not know. Cause yeah, you know, Yeah. And we really do need to wrap this up, but I (laughs) stayed away from wheat for 10 years. And just in the past year, I have reintroduced it back into my diet. And for the most part, I can tolerate wheat and I eat a bagel every, almost every, well, the days that I do lifting, I have a bagel and it does not give me any issues at all. And like I said, I found it to be one of the best pre-workout meals for myself because it gives me that quick energy. Well, Brian, it has been an awesome conversation. I have learned a lot from you. I hope our listeners have learned a lot. We'll definitely have you back on the show. Check out the show notes for the references that Brian shared with us. And if listeners have questions for you, is it okay if they just reach out to me and I can just forward it on to you if if we have any listeners sure. who just want to yeah Brian's a Brian's a very generous person when it comes to trying to help people he's on his own personal social media feeds he shares his nutrition and his fitness and I think I I'm I'm accurate in saying you really do have a passion for helping wanting to help people and sharing your knowledge is that correct <laughs> That is correct. Okay. Yeah. So don't hesitate to reach out, even if it's just a little, you know, thanks for, thanks for all the things that you shared on the show, anything like that. It's, it's all, it's all good. And it's always appreciated. All right. So thanks, Brian. And we will chat soon. All right. Thanks, Janae. Okay. Bye-bye. And that's it. I hope you found that interview with Brian helpful and inspiring. I know I did. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you make sure to never miss a show. Consider leaving a five-star rating and review to help others find the show. And until our next podcast episode, remember, you are worth it, mama.